There's a man, for this man, the resurrection meant absolutely nothing. Now, when I mean it meant nothing for him, I could mean that he just was apathetic toward it. He didn't care about it. He didn't believe it. He thought it was wrong. He didn't know about it. I can mean a lot of things when I say to him it meant nothing. But for this particular man, when I say the resurrection meant nothing, it meant for him that he deemed those who believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be his enemies. He believed that the people who would gather like this and celebrate that Jesus was alive were in fact his enemies. And he went out and sought out ways to imprison them, to harm them, to silence them, even to kill them. He was doing everything he could with his time, his energy, his efforts, his resources to stand against those people who believed that Jesus rose from the dead until the day he met Jesus. He was traveling to a city to stand against those who believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, to imprison them, to kill them, And on the way to that city, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, appeared to this man, had a conversation with him. In that moment, that man realized that everything that he'd been doing, that he believed was right, was in fact wrong. That all of his efforts standing against those who believed Jesus rose from the dead was wrong. That when he imprisoned people, For believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was wrong to do that. That when he killed people and had them killed simply because they believed Jesus rose from the dead, that he was so terribly wrong. If anybody in that moment deserved to die, it was that man for the things he had done wrong. But when he met Jesus Christ, Jesus offered him life in the place of his death. Now, how does that happen? It happens because Jesus Christ died on the cross for that man's sins, rose again from the dead, overcoming sin and death so that he could actually offer to that man life in the place of his death. And that man trusted Jesus Christ, believed in him as the one risen from the dead, and it changed his life. He was never the same. He did not continue on to that city to terrorize people who believed in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and Savior. Instead, he made his way to multiple cities to proclaim to people that Jesus is in fact risen from the dead. He was no longer standing against people who believed it. He was joining them in proclaiming Jesus is alive. It changed everything for this man. In fact, we have much of our New Testament Through the writings of this individual, Paul made his way all over the known world at that time proclaiming that Jesus is alive. One of the places that Paul went was Thessalonica. And we get a little insight into what he was doing when he went into Thessalonica to tell the people there about Jesus in Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 3. I want to read that to you. It's in Acts chapter 17. Verses 1 through 3. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So people just like Paul, Paul grew up as a Jew, 
So he went to the people just like him, had the background that he had, learned the things that he had learned, knew the things that he knew, and he went to them to talk to them about Jesus. And this is what it says. He went to the Jews in the synagogue, and according to his custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So he's talking with them about the Old Testament. That's the Scriptures they have at this moment. And so he's going in there, and he's taking the Old Testament that they all knew and believed, and he's reasoning with them about the stories in the Old Testament. And look what he's doing. Verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ or the Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is that Messiah. So what Paul does, he goes in there and he says, I want to explain to you from all the stories that we all believe and hold to be true, that those stories are in fact telling us, teaching us that we need a Messiah who comes and suffers, dies, and rises again from the dead. Because this is a foreign concept to them. They're not looking for a Messiah to come and die. They're looking for a Messiah to come and free them from the oppression of the Romans. The Jews in Paul's day want freedom from political oppression and they want a messiah who comes as a king and reigns and sets them free from their oppression and paul goes in and says look these old testament stories are talking about a much more significant oppression a much more significant enemy than just our political enemies we need something more significant than simply a messiah that comes and sets us free from our political oppression There is more going on here in our lives. And we need a Messiah that will do much more than that. And he began to unpack the Old Testament stories that communicated those truths. Our family loves Easter. Y'all love celebrating Easter. It is a great time. I mean, for people who are even remotely connected to Christianity, this is an incredibly important day. Our family loves to celebrate Easter. We try to do fun things every year as a family. And one of the things we've done through the years as the kids were little and then as their cousins are even smaller than them and as they grew up, we did Easter egg hunts, you know? And so we try to do some fun things in the yard, hide the eggs, decorate the eggs, those kind of fun things. And so... The kids are getting old enough now where it's not fun to go out and hunt Easter eggs. So the nieces are 12 to 7 and they're getting too old to do those kinds of childish things. And so we thought we got to spice it up a little bit this year. And we got to come up with a different way to do this Easter egg hunt thing. And so we thought well, we could put money in the Easter, egg hunt, Easter eggs. And then I told Lindley, I said, if we do that, I'm hunting the eggs. <laughs> So that, we didn't think that would work. And so, so she came up with this idea of creating this little scavenger hunt where we decorate an egg and we're break, broken into teams. And each team decorates their egg. And then we have a set of clues that direct us to different places in the community. And we have to go there as a team and take a picture of being there with our decorated egg. And so you go through the scavenger hunt. And when you get home, the person who makes it back through all of that wins. And so I'm on a team. I'm the team captain of my team. And uh, I've got the middle niece and one of my kids and another adult. None of us are acting like adults in this situation. We're having a lot of fun with this. And so we get in our team and we're, we're headed out. We load up in the vehicle and we're headed out to follow these clues and go to these places to get pictures with these items or these locations. So as we're going, I think to myself, hey, let's go by Walgreens. They got everything there. And so we stop at Walgreens. We go in there and we start reading through the clues 
and we start discovering, hey, we've got some, some opportunities here. So one of the things on there is go somewhere where you can get something that make your ears look pretty. Well, I don't know much about shopping for earrings, but I figure Walgreens has got to have something. Well, much to my disappointment, they don't sell earrings there in Walgreens, not that I could find, but they do sell wind chimes. And, and if you're willing to deal with the pain just for a few seconds, you can hang wind chimes from your ears. So we, we held the little egg, and I had my little niece with me, and I had these ear, wind chimes hanging from my ears. We took a picture. Went to the next thing. We got to find a four-legged furry thing that we can pet and love on. We found a stuffed animal in Walgreens. Then we got to find uh, something with a bill and webbed feet. We found a stuffed duck in Walgreens. We got to find an American flag. There's a cooler with an American flag on it. We took a picture of it. You got to find something creamy and cold to eat. There's ice cream in Walgreens. I mean, we're rolling through the list like crazy. And my little niece, who's about 19 years old, she's sitting there going, we're going to win. And that other team, they're nothing but losers. And we're giving high fives. I mean, it's the spirit of Easter. It's awesome. We're teaching them all kind of great things about the resurrection in this moment. And so we're going through the, we got about three things left and we decide, well, we can't get them at Walgreens, so we'll go somewhere else. So we get and get those three things. We get done. We roll into the house and we, and we were waiting for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Nobody's showing up. We start texting them pictures of us in victory poses and saying, where are y'all losers, late showers, you know, all this fun stuff. We're having a great time praising the Lord while we do it. And, uh, and, and so then they start rolling in and people start talking about the pictures and the places and, and, and then it comes out, my, my, my niece, she's not as schooled in these ways as she needs to be. She, it comes out that we took the majority of our pictures in one place. Well, the other two teams look at us and say, you can't do that. We were told at the very beginning that you can't take more than one picture in one place. And our team stood its ground and said, we don't remember that. <laughs> so this big family argument ensues and we're thinking scavenger hunt may not be the best way to do this. And we, we have a great time going through all this and we, we still hold that we won and the other two teams say that we were disqualified and all this stuff. So I, I'm in bed that night and I'm fixing to go to sleep and Lindley gets in bed and she elbows me in the side and she she, she kind of leans over with the list of things you were supposed to find. And she points at the top of the list where there are two sentences, one of which says, you cannot take more than one picture at one location. And she just goes, hmm, and goes to bed. That pretty much says it all. I am seriously disqualified at that moment. That, that story is a great illustration of the Old Testament and what the Old Testament stories teach about every one of us. The Old Testament stories, many of them are unveiling the reality about each one of us that what we do with our lives is we ignore what God has said and we do whatever we think is right and we do it the way we want to do it. And we do things we think, hey, we, we're actually doing well here. And when it comes right down to it, and God says, that doesn't measure up with what I've said. And we want to say to God, well, we don't like what you say. I like what I say better. And the Old Testament is one story after another unveiling the problem that all of us share. Everyone in this room shares the same problem. We have all gone our own way. Each one of us has turned away from God and done whatever we want. And when God says, this is what I want, we say, we don't like that. 
At some level, everybody here has done that. And all the Old Testament stories point to that one truth about us. When Paul stood there in Thessalonica, began to unpack the Old Testament stories, one of the things that he was conveying to the people is that we all have the same most significant need. We need a remedy for our sin. We have all sinned against God and we need a solution. We need a Messiah who will come and pay the penalty for our sin. The other thing Paul would have unpacked from those Old Testament stories is the reality that God had a plan of redemption. The moment sin entered the world, God began to voice, I have a plan for redemption. I have a solution for the brokenness. I have a solution for the fact that every one of you have turned and gone your own way. I have a plan to bring you back. And God began to unfold that plan through these Old Testament occurrences. And one of the things you're going to see when you read the Old Testament is you're going to see a recurring um, um, description and, and activity of guys that fill an office called prophet. You're going to see prophets throughout the whole Old Testament. A prophet was somebody who would speak for God, on behalf of God. He would say what God wanted the people to hear about God. He would introduce the people to things that God wanted them to hear. Moses was the first primary major prophet in the Old Testament. Then you have all the rest of them following Moses and they are constantly speaking on behalf of God so that people could know what God wants. The problem was all the prophets could say is thus saith the Lord. They could only represent God. And this office of prophet was pointing out the fact that we need something more than a prophet, someone who can say more than just simply thus saith the Lord. We need, we need something better. Through the Old Testament, you'll see this office described as priest, where these priests would come and they would offer sacrifices for the people of God so the people of God could enjoy the blessings of being God's people even though they were sinful. And so the priests would offer sacrifices for their own sins, and then the priests would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But the priests would have to keep offering sacrifices for their sins and the sins of the people every year, year after year after year, because these sacrifices that were being offered did not permanently remedy the problem of sin. The Old Testament stories are conveying that we need a, a, a solution for the problem of our sin that's permanent. And none of the priests could provide that permanent solution. You look through the scripture and you see another office, the office of king. You see David and Solomon, all these great kings over Israel, leading the people into victory. But you see the moral decay of the people over time. And it's like they don't need a king just to lead them to victory. They need a king who can conquer their greatest enemy, the enemy of sin and death. They need something better than any king the Old Testament has pointed out to that point. And every one of those stories leads you to believe and see we need a Messiah who will come and solve the problem of our sin. And that's going to require that he die and he rise again from the dead. See, after Paul explained from the Old Testament that what our greatest need is is for a Messiah to come and pay the penalty for our sin, he then said to those in Thessalonica, I want to tell you who he is. Now that you've seen that the Bible conveys our greatest need is for a Messiah to come and suffer and die for our sin and rise again from the dead so that he can reign and rule over sin and death and lead us to life in the place of our death, now that you see that's what the Old Testament is saying, I want you to know that I have met him. 
He's Jesus Christ. He was crucified. He rose again from the dead, and I met him face to face. He is alive. I've seen him. I've had a conversation with him. He is the Messiah that I'm proclaiming. His name is Jesus. See, Paul would have said to them, Jesus is better than a prophet because when Jesus came and he taught, he did not say to the people, thus saith the Lord. No, when Jesus spoke, he said, I say to you. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, when you see me, you see the Father. When you hear me, you hear the Word of God. What I'm doing is exactly what the Father is doing. I am only doing what I'm doing because I'm, I am God and I am showing you who I am. I say to you, Jesus Christ was better than a prophet. He didn't just speak for God. He spoke as God. Paul could have said Jesus is better than the priest of the Old Testament because Jesus Christ didn't come simply as a high priest to offer another sacrifice for sin that he had to repeat year after year. No, Jesus Christ came as a high priest who offered the best sacrifice. He offered himself. God himself became man and offered himself for our sin. Jesus Christ is better than any priest. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He would have told the people about Jesus being king, Lord of lords, king of kings, that Jesus Christ ruled over all authorities that stood against him. That one time as he was teaching, people wanted to stone him and they came against him, the authorities came against him. He just walked right through them as if they were nothing at all because no authority was greater than Jesus Christ. He would have told them that the Romans and the Jews, they didn't kill Jesus. No, Jesus said that he voluntarily gave his life up for our sins. There was no greater authority than Jesus. And he used his authority as God to lay himself down for our sin that he might overcome sin and death. He's the king of kings and he rules over all. But absolutely none of that that Paul would have said or could have said to the people of Thessalonica, none of that would have mattered at all. None of what Jesus did, none of what Jesus said, nothing that's written in the Bible would matter one bit if Jesus was not risen from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead makes all of that stuff true. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead makes all of that believable and life-changing. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, nothing matters that Paul is talking about. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, everything that Paul talks about matters and is true. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. We don't have forgiveness of sins without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't have life without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have salvation. We don't have purpose. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. Every promise that God has made is secure because Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then what we're doing today does not matter. But the reason we're gathered here today is because we believe that Jesus is alive. Amen? And because Jesus is alive, we are gathered here to celebrate his resurrection. Did you know that more people show up in church on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday of the year? Why? Because all of us would say the resurrection matters. It is everything. It's everything. There was a day very similar to today. 
back when Jesus walked the face of the earth. You can read a little bit about it in John chapter 11, verse 55, where it says the people were going to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. And they were trying to make themselves ready to celebrate the Passover by purifying themselves. Now think about this for a second. People are gathering from all over in an area to go to a place to celebrate God's deliverance. While celebrating God's deliverance, they'll be talking about the fact that a lamb was slain years and years before and the blood of that lamb was smeared on a door so that they would be passed over and experience life in the place of death. They've all gathered together to talk about this, to celebrate this. Now here's the irony of this moment. They've tried to make themselves ready to celebrate the deliverance of God. But in celebrating the deliverance of God, these people are missing the deliverer himself. The very moment they're there to celebrate the Passover lamb of history, they're missing Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb of the moment. I think that's so sad. And I think about our moment here today. We have all gathered here to celebrate the deliverance of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It'll be a great irony and a terrible shame if we gather in this place and we miss Jesus. I'm convinced that the question that all of us need to answer this morning in this moment is what does the resurrection really mean to me? Does it mean nothing? Or does it mean everything? And I know that it, when it means nothing, it could take a variety of forms, but when the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything, we have this great example in Paul. He was living his life without regard for who God is. When he heard who God is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changed his life. Everything changed. The way he lived, the way he worked, the way he spent his time, the way he spent his resources, the way he spent his energy, the way he spent his dreams, the way he did everything changed because he realized in that moment of meeting Jesus that Jesus was alive. And when he recognized Jesus was alive, it changed his life. He said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants for my life, he's going to determine it. Whatever it means to follow him, that'll dictate my choices. I am going to follow Jesus Christ. What does the resurrection mean to us? There's no question that this room is full of people who have come into this place with a variety of needs, myself included. We all, we all need things today when we came in here. Some of us may come in here thinking, man, I need to take care of some financial obligations and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And, and you may have actually come in here saying, God, it would be really great if, if you'd help me with this. That's why I'm here. I need your help. Some of you may need help in your marriage. You may be thinking, man, it would be really great if we go to church today and maybe if we, if we turned our hearts to the Lord, he could help us in our marriage. Some of you may need help with your kids. Parenting is tough. It is so challenging. You may be thinking, I want to connect better with my kids. I want to do a better job raising them. I need help. 
Some of you may come in here saying, I need help in my job. Things aren't going like I thought they would. I need help in a friendship. I need help in a relationship. I need help because somebody in my family is dying. And I don't know how I'm going to face it when I lose them. I need help because I don't know how this situation in my family is going to turn out. There's still unknowns here. I don't know what's going to happen. God, can you help me? You come in here with all these needs. And you're coming here because you're celebrating that Jesus Christ is alive. And you have these needs. You're saying, Lord, here are my needs. You know them. Where are you? I want to remind you what Paul reminded the people at Thessalonica. Your greatest need today. Your greatest need today is to have a remedy for your sin. To have restoration in your relationship with God, for God to bring you close to Him so that you might know and walk with Him. That's your greatest need. You you have no greater need in this moment right now than to know that Jesus Christ is alive, that He wants you to know Him and follow Him, and He cares about you. And until you recognize your greatest need is the redemption of God, the forgiveness of your sin, and you decide to follow a risen Savior, you can find all your other needs met and not find what you need. But if you will trust in Jesus and you will follow Him because He is alive, then what you will discover is the God who cared enough about your greatest need to send His Son to die for you certainly cares about every other significant need you have. But you'll miss that if you don't let God take care of your greatest need, your brokenness, your separation from Him. What does the resurrection mean to you? You know the greatest news about Jesus Christ's resurrection for us today is that He cares so much about you believing in Him. Jesus genuinely cares about you believing in him. On that Sunday morning when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, John chapter 20 tells us about Mary going to the tomb and seeing that the stone had been rolled away. When she saw the stone rolled away, you know what she immediately thought? She thought someone stole Jesus' body and it really freaked her out. She ran back and told the disciples, someone's stolen the body. John and Peter, they get on the running shoes. They run to the tomb. They go in there. And you know what they see? They see the linen wrappings lying in the tomb. Not as if they'd been unwrapped off of a body, but as if a body had passed through the linen wrappings. And the wrappings were there, and the body was gone. And John chapter 20 says they believed. They come out of that tomb. i got to believe that they have a conversation with Mary about, hey, this is not what you think. But Mary is so distraught, so fixated on the fact that someone stole Jesus' body. The disciples go home and we see this focus in on Mary. It was as if she had not seen enough yet to believe. And two angels showed up and said to Mary, why are you crying? She said, they stole the body of Jesus. And the moment the words come out of her mouth, Jesus is standing beside her and says, woman, why are you crying and who are you looking for? And she looks up at Jesus with tears in her eyes. She can't even see clearly through her tears and says, if you've taken him and put him somewhere, can you tell me where he is? And he says, Mary. (laughs) And she realizes 
It's Jesus. She clings to his feet and begins to worship him. As if Jesus was just saying, I know you needed to see me. And here I am. I'm alive. She goes back and tells the disciples, can you imagine at this moment, Peter, John, and Mary talking about what has happened? They're super excited. They're all gathered together that evening. Guess what happens? Jesus shows up with all of them except for Thomas. Thomas evidently was late. I mean, if you're going to be late for something, that's a good way to never be late again, right? Everybody gets to see Jesus is alive except for Thomas. They get to experience it. They get to hear him. They get to be with him. Then Jesus leaves and Thomas shows up. Talk about a bummer. Hey, what have y'all been doing? Hanging out with Jesus? Whatever. No, really, he was here. And they all began to tell him, he was here, he's alive. This is how Thomas responds to them. Unless I touch the nail prints on his hands, unless my hand goes into his side, I will not believe. I don't, I don't think at that moment that Thomas is saying, you, you boys are nothing but a bunch of liars. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think Thomas is simply saying, I want to see him too. All of you have seen him, and I'm not going to believe in it like you are until I see him. And he stands strong in that position for eight long days. Can you imagine? Eight days, all your closest buddies saying he's really alive, and Thomas saying, I'm not going to believe until I see him. And then they're gathered all together and Jesus appears in the first words out of his mouth, Thomas, come here. Put your hands right here. Put your hand in my side. And stop being unbelieving. Believe in me. Then Jesus said something really interesting. He said to Thomas, you believe in me because you've seen me. Blessed are those who do not see, yet believe. Do, do you know that Thomas had that encounter for our benefit? That those words were written for our benefit. So that we could in this moment say, we're a people who don't have the opportunity to see like Thomas saw, to put our hands in the nail prints, to touch his side. We can't do that. But what Jesus Christ just said is, there's a blessing reserved for those who believe even though they haven't seen like Thomas. When I hear that, I'm, I'm really interested, right? I want to know, what is this blessing? What's going on here? Because I want to experience this. Listen to John chapter 20. The end of that passage, this is the words, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Did you hear that? Here's how I know Jesus cares about you believing in him because we have this book that tells the story that Jesus is alive and Jesus tells us if we believe in what we can see we will see life in Christ because the risen Savior changes everything.
It's so sad when the unbelieving mind says, I'm not going to believe until I understand and see clearly. When Jesus said, if you believe what I've shown you, which is enough, I will show you more than you can imagine. I've risen from the dead. The resurrection means everything. But what does it mean to you? Let's pray together.